Welcome to John chapter 7. Hope you're there. So who knows what happened last time we were here? Who remembers what was the big story? Jesus did what? He fed a bunch of people who said walked on water. That's a good guess. That is something that Jesus did. The last time we were here, Jesus fed 5,000 people. And yeah, it was crazy. It was this big, crazy spectacle. Today, though, that was a victory of Jesus. That was something he did that was amazing and big and powerful. Today, we're going to look at kind of the hard, difficult road that Jesus had. That's the name of this message, the hard road of Christ. So let's get right into it. John chapter 7, verse 1 says, after these things, what's these things? What did he do? He fed a bunch of people, fed 5,000. Big miracle. So, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Verse 2, now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand, and his brothers therefore said to him, Jesus, depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing. For nobody does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe him. Then Jesus said to them, listen guys, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to the feast, for my time has not yet come. When he had said these things, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, verse 10, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him, saying, he is good. And others said, no, 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 he deceives the people. He's bad. However, no one spoke openly about Jesus for fear of the Jews. So I want to set up kind of what's going on, let you guys know what's happening in the story. Jesus just fed 5,000 people, but then he is confronted by his brothers. And his brothers show up. These are not like, like the guys he hangs out with, like his bros. This is literally his family, like the siblings he grew up with. And the siblings just straight up don't believe him. Like they're like, what, you, what are you saying? You fed 5,000 people, you walked on water. Like what, Jesus, what? listen, if you really think you can do these things, then go into Jerusalem, go into the city, show everybody, go out in the open. And Jesus says, listen, like it's not my time to go out in the open. As I was studying this, I mean, it seems like a really, really simple story. And it's like, if I was reading this in my devotions, I might just read through it and kind of go, eh, like, cool, like, information, I guess. This is just a story that gives us information. But I really think if you dig deep, you can find such awesome things in the Bible. And as I really started to study this passage, it really touched my heart. A few things I wanted to share with you guys about just the road that Jesus had to walk for us. And it really challenged me and inspired me this weekend to study it, and I hope it does so for you. Um, I want to tell you guys a story, a quick story about a friend of mine. Um, this is a guy who's a youth pastor at a different church. So one day, he's at his office late at night at church, which if you guys know me, like, that's normal. Like, sometimes, you know, I'm here at like two in the morning, like printing things and just doing weird stuff and, you know, just, you know, pastor stuff, like studying until like three in the morning. And sometimes I do it at home, sometimes I do it here. 
So my friend's doing the same thing. He's here, and he's studying late, and he's in his office, and all of a sudden, the alarm in the church goes off. So he rushes over, and he knows he has like a 10-second grace period to turn off that alarm. So he goes, puts in the code. He's like, I'm fine. But then he's like, I'll just do a little scan of the building. So he's walking around the perimeter, checking out the building. No one's there. All the doors are locked. So he's thinking, I'm fine. Everything's fine. So he goes back in his office and starts blasting his music. He starts blasting some Adele, hello, just as loud as he can. It's so good. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he hears, and he's like, oh, my gosh. Like, I didn't hear the church door open. I thought I was in here by myself. Like, what's going on? Like, is someone going to murder me? And then he hears, open up, police. Turn off the music and open the door slowly. Step up into the hallway with your hands up. And all of a sudden, he's like, okay, this looks really bad because... I mean, I work here, but I'm the youth pastor, so like, I'm not going to be here in a suit. He's wearing like a ratty t-shirt, like board shorts, and he's barefoot because, you know, he's in his office, he's comfortable, so he took off his shoes. So now he's, he's, he's you know, he's got like a beard and stuff. He basically looks like a hobo, you know, as, as we youth pastors tend to look like. So he's like, this looks really bad. It looks like I'm a homeless person who broke into the church. So... My friend starts stuttering, and he, he comes out, and they say, who are you? And he goes, uh, I'm, the, I'm the youth pastor. And the cops totally don't believe him because it just looks fishy, and he's stuttering. And so, so the cop says, put your hands up, turn your back to me, grab the top of your shirt, pull it up, and walk back to me until I say so. So he, he does it, and the cops are like starting to put the cuffs on him. And he's like, oh, I'm getting arrested. And, and he's like, no, really, I'm the youth pastor. I can prove it. And the police officers are like, no way prove it. So he goes and he's like, look, I, I know the security code for the building. I've got keys for the building. Like, I, I know how to log into all the computers. And they're, they're like, dude, you need to shave because you look sketchy. Like, we thought you were in here robbing the place. Um, the point, though, is it, it's a bummer when people don't believe you are who you say you are. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where people did not believe you were who you claim to be, but it's discouraging. It's a bummer. That's where Jesus finds himself. He does not, he's not getting the credit that he deserves for who he is. For one, he's God. He's proven it over and over again in these stories. He's walked on water. He's turned water into wine. He's healed people. He's fed 5,000. Like, he's done all these things, and still, people don't believe him. Most of all, you've got his brothers who don't believe him. Uh, Zach, you can go to the next slide. The first just idea I want to share with you guys is that Jesus faced a lot of opposition. If you guys have been paying attention at all, and you guys have grown up in the church for a lot of you guys, so you know what's up. Jesus faced a lot of opposition. For one, he faced the opposition of the religious leaders. Um, now, who knows about the Pharisees? Anybody here? Yeah, raise your hand if you've heard of like Pharisees in church before. Okay, I learned something interesting about the Pharisees because when I grew up, um, I only knew of Pharisees as like bad guys. Like I just imagined them as like this cult of like weirdos who like hung out and grew long beards and basically just like plotted to like trick people all the time. Like it was like their delight to find out like, you know, the, the, the God gave the Jews a law about the Sabbath. It was, you know, rest on the Sabbath, spend time with God on the Sabbath, like don't work on the Sabbath. They twisted it to like anytime anyone did anything. Like if you walked into a field and you like picked up and like 
bent over and like uh, just picked up like a piece of wheat. They'd be like, you sinner, you're going to hell. Like they, they, they hated when anyone did anything on the Sabbath. They, they absolutely hated it. Um, they had all these rules, all these lists that God didn't come up with. And so I used to just think, these guys are jerks. But it's interesting, the Pharisees, the history of the Pharisees, they actually had, it kind of paints them in a more sympathetic light. You see, the Jews, the reason they got into such a bad place is because they forsook God. The Jews, as you guys know, they followed God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these families, they're walking with God. They're following God with their whole lives, their whole hearts, but they continue to disobey. And every time they disobey, if you guys know your Old Testament, what happened? They got sold into slavery to people like Babylon and Rome and Greece and the Philistines. Like they, they would get sold to these other countries, the Ammonites, and they'd have to work for them and live for them. And so the Pharisees was a group of religious Jews that basically looked at their history. They saw what gets us into trouble when we disobey God's law. Like, what causes us into bondage and slavery when we disobey God's law? So what the Pharisees did was they said, we are going to try to be a group of people who are so on fire for God that we just are obsessed with keeping his law. Because if, if disobeying God's law causes our country to be thrown into slavery, then if we challenge people to obey God's law, then maybe our country will be saved. So they started out good with good intentions, but what happened was they morphed into this group of people where they had no more love for God and only love for God's law, yes, but also their own made-up laws. They became a slave. They were trying to free people, but then what ended up happening was they became slave masters. Jesus actually said about the Pharisees, he said, you guys put so much burdens on people's back and you're not even willing to carry it yourself. Have you guys ever dealt with people like that where they come and they say, you need to do this. Here's what you need to do. Here's the list of things. But you look at them and you're like, you don't do any of those things. Like you, you literally do not follow any of the rules that you lay out for me. Maybe you guys have parents or family members or someone in your life. The Pharisees were like that. So Jesus comes on the scene. The Pharisees have tried to get people to follow God and to follow the rules. No one wants to. Jesus shows up and he has this message of hope. Jesus shows up and he says, listen, you can't follow God's law perfectly. You will die if you try. You will fail. You will fall on your face. Jesus came and said, I came to complete the law. Not so that you could just do whatever you want, but so that you, through me, can keep God's law. Like Jesus came with this message of hope. The law was just all death. So the Pharisees, when Jesus shows up, they're like, we hate this guy. Like everyone likes him. He's popular. He's feeding people. He's healing people. We can't do that. We, like, it's, it's, they were jealous because they're thinking, we follow God. We follow his rules. We follow the extra rules we made up. Why don't we have any power? Why can't we heal people? Why can't we do this stuff? The people love Jesus. They hate us. And so the Pharisees decide they want to kill Jesus. That's where they're at. That's some opposition. Another thing Jesus faces, the Romans. The Romans hated Jesus as well. They saw him as a threat because Jesus came, and he didn't just preach, hey, one day, like, follow me, and you'll get to go sit on a fluffy cloud called heaven. It's going to be great. No, Jesus said, listen, I come to tell you about the kingdom of heaven. It's this place we go when we die, absolutely, but it's also a place that starts right now, right here underneath the rule of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to tell people about the kingdom. So it's very different than a lot of the ways that I kind of just thought of it as a kid. I thought, 
being a Christian means try to be good, and then if you're good enough, you die, and you go to heaven, and Jesus kind of, like, makes it okay for you to do that. What I didn't realize was when Jesus came and he preached the kingdom of God, he's saying, listen, for anyone who wants to follow me, right now, right here in Israel, in England, in America, wherever you are, if you are deciding to follow Jesus, if you decide to get saved, it doesn't just mean you say a prayer and then one day because you said that prayer you go to heaven. It actually means you're committing yourself to be a part of a kingdom and to be under the leadership of a king, and that's Jesus. So the Romans didn't like that. The Romans looked at Jesus and they said, we've already got a king. It's Caesar. It's Nero. We don't want another king. So the Romans want to kill Jesus, and just recently they killed his cousin John. They captured Jesus' cousin John and they chopped off his head. The people who loved Jesus, many of them now think he's insane. He fed 5,000 people. That's a pretty big following. Like, that's a big crowd. Like, if you had 5,000 Instagram followers, you would be stoked. 5,000 actual people who are willing to follow you, that's amazing. Jesus had that. He was feeding people. They loved him. And then out of nowhere, he says, hey, listen, guys, if you really want to follow me, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, oh, vampire, weird. And they, they leave. They take off. And Jesus loses many of his followers. People think he's crazy. And biggest opposition of all, Jesus faces Satan. Because Satan hates what Jesus is up to. He hated it now, and he hates it then. Jesus is always up to good. Satan is always up to evil. In your life, Jesus is up to something. In your life, Jesus is trying to do great things. You have to know Satan hates that, and he will oppose it. There's, there are those of you here today who even maybe right now, there's a battle for your heart your, God wants you to listen to this message, and not just so you can hear my stinking voice, but that so you can hear God's actual voice speak to you through the study of the Word of God. And Satan is speaking in your ear right now saying, just, ah, just get on your phone, just look at stuff on your phone, just talk to your friend, just zone out, just hang out. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Like, just this will be over soon. You'll get to eat soon. Maybe that's what the enemy is trying to do right now. He wants to distract you, and he wants to take away what God has for you. There's always been this opposition between God and Satan. And I see people oppose Jesus all the time. I see people question Jesus. In, in my life, I've seen so many people just look at Jesus and say, who is he? Like, why should we follow him? Like, there's so many other religions. There's so many other ways to get to heaven. Like, why Jesus? Like, why do we have to put our faith in someone like Jesus? I see people cursing him all the time, taking his name, name in vain, just cussing out God, essentially, all the time. And it's crazy because it's become such a comfortable thing in our culture. If you think about it, like, when people stub their toe, like, whose name do they call out? Is it Buddha? Is it Joseph Smith from the Mormons? Is it Muhammad? No, people say God and Jesus. It's almost as if Satan knows that a great way to make people not take God and Jesus seriously is by making them names that we use when we hurt ourselves or when things are going bad. It's almost like that's a really good strategy of Satan. I see people making fun of Jesus all the time. On TV shows and cartoon shows, Jesus is mocked mercilessly all the time. And I'll admit, I myself have even laughed at some of those jokes making fun of Jesus. And I think back on just when I was younger and I'd laugh at those cartoons or those uh, TV shows where people would just make fun of Jesus in ways. And I just realized that's the person who died for me on the cross. Like, why would I make fun of him? Why would I join in this joke? Even if it's funny, it shouldn't be funny to me. Lord, change my heart. And then you've got people trying to disprove Jesus all 
the time. People trying to prove that he's not true. People trying to, it, almost violently, there's people out there who are viciously trying to find any way they can to prove that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. And it's, it's a curious thing that they do that. The saddest opposition that Jesus faced on this day, and I think overall, is his family. Um, now, I, I, I want to show you some stuff from, uh, have you guys ever heard of awkwardfamilyphotos.com? Okay, check this out. That's awkward. It's an awkward family photo. If, if I ever dress up like Eeyore with my children, just, just shoot me. <laughs> like, I'm done. I'm out. Like, I deserve it. Uh, go to the next one. That's just, like, the top half's, like, okay, but then we get to the bottom half with, like, the weird leg hugging. It's just like, oh, no. It's, oh, it does kind of. Um, that lady's got, like, Bride of Frankenstein hair. Um, and then this is my personal favorite. <laughs> like, is he not around anymore, and they're, like, remembering him, or is he, like, thinking about how he's going to murder them all? Or like, I, like, who thought that was a good idea? And at least smile, mustache man. Oh. Sometimes families can look awkward, they can be strange, they can be awkward, but think about how awkward it was for Jesus' family. Jesus essentially was this, this kid all the time. You can go to the next slide. He was this kid. He won the award, she didn't. That's the way Jesus' siblings probably felt because, remember, he's perfect. He never did anything wrong, never messed up, never made a mistake. His parents loved him. Like Mary and Joseph, they're like, this kid is perfect perfect. He's always doing the dishes. He's always doing his Hebrew school homework on time. He's like baking food for the family. He's learning how to be a carpenter. Like he's just, he was the, like probably the favorite son. Like Joseph and Mary, when you have an angel come to you and say, you're going to have a baby and then you have a baby, like I don't care how great the other kids were, like no one can top Jesus in that family. Like he is number one. You can, you can go to the next slide. So it's an awkward situation. Jesus doesn't have brothers who support him, much like David's brothers who thought David in the Bible was worthless and useless and could never be a warrior on the battlefield and could never fight, or much like Joseph and his brothers. Um, and Joseph had brothers who said, Joseph, your dreams will never come true. Everything that's in your heart will never happen. Joseph, you are worthless. You're pathetic. Jesus has brothers who basically in this story, I don't, I don't know if you caught it when we read through it, but they come up to Jesus, and Jesus, they say to Jesus, listen, Jesus, if you really are who you say you are, then why hide it? Like, why are you hiding? Go into town. Go into town and make a big parade for yourself and do miracles. Prove it, basically, they're saying. Jesus, stop telling us that you're the Son of God. Stop telling us that you're amazing. Stop telling us that you came to save the world. Jesus, that doesn't make sense. We grew up with you. We, we, we saw you grow up. You were our big brother. Like, it doesn't make sense. If your big brother came, if you have a brother or an older sister, and they came to you, and they're like, hey, uh, I'm the Son of God, or I'm the daughter of God and I've come to heal the world, and I can do miracles. You'd be like, you are ridiculous. Like, I am calling the cops on you. You have lost your mind. Like, I'm going to go tell mom and dad right now how crazy you are. That's, that's what Jesus is dealing with right now. He's, he's older, obviously, but he doesn't have support from his family. And maybe some of you guys feel that here today. Maybe you are trying to walk with Jesus. Maybe you're trying to do what's right. You're trying to live for God, and you don't have the support of your family. Now, I know a lot of you guys, and I know a lot of your families, and many of you guys do, but I think maybe there might be a few of you guys here in the room where you feel like you're trying to do what's right. You're trying to be on fire for the Lord. You're trying even to point your family to Jesus and say, hey, family, let's read the Bible together. 
Let's pray together. Like, let's just be on fire for Jesus. And maybe it's not even that they're not Christians and they hate Christianity. Maybe it's just that they're, they're lukewarm and they're not on fire and they don't really care. And it can be hard and be challenging. Whatever your situation is, if you feel like you don't have support from your family, if you feel like your family doesn't back you up, you need to know Jesus was in the same place as you. I think it's interesting, though. I think it's really, really interesting because we can read this story. No, 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 it's okay. Go back to the, yeah, okay. So we can read this story, and we can kind of look at the brothers and judge them and be like, these brothers, like, they're, they're chumps. Like, they should believe in Jesus. Didn't they see him feed those 5,000 people? Like, what's up with these brothers? Man, these brothers are dumb. Like, we can, we can feel that way. But honestly, when I looked at my own heart this weekend, the Lord showed me I can be just like those brothers. Because think about it, those brothers grew up with Jesus. How many of you guys here grew up with Jesus? Anybody grew up with Jesus? Christian family? Yeah? Grew up with Jesus? So, sometimes we can be just like those brothers. Here's two ways. One, it's when we doubt he really is who he says. Now, everyone here, if I asked you, you know, do you believe Jesus is who he says? You'd be like, yeah, I believe he is who he says. I believe he's God. You know, I believe he died on the cross or whatever. But do you actually believe that he's Lord? When he says to you, I am Lord of your life, do you believe that? Or you just go, no, God, you're the guy who saved me, and one day I'll see you in heaven. Thanks a lot, Jesus. Or do you believe that he is who he says? If, remember, what do we say? If Jesus is king, come on. Thank you. If Jesus is king, that changes everything. We taught that to you guys at camp. And another way that we can be like the brothers is when we doubt that God does what he says he can do. And here's what I mean by that. I mean, I'm sure most of you guys here believe that God could create the whole world. Most of you guys here believe that God could die on the cross for our sins. But when you're going through a hard time, when you're going through a problem, do all of you believe that God can get you out of that? Do you believe that God loves you enough that he can save you from your trial, from your trouble, from your struggle, from even your sin? Or do you just give up and you say, God, that's too big for God. Like, I'm not going to bother him with that problem. I'm not going to ask him. Do you do that? I do it. There's so many times I go through a hard time, and who do I go to? I go to my friends. I go to my wife. I go to my parents. Instead of first going to God and saying, God, help me with my struggle. God, help me be there for me. Guys, some of us, we grow up with Jesus, and we just get tired of him. We grow up with Jesus, and we just take him for granted. And I honestly think maybe there's some here today who maybe the love of Jesus in your heart has grown cold because you're so used to him. You've heard all the studies before. You've heard all the stories. You've heard him a thousand, thousand times. And it's so easy just to sit out in church and zone out and not hear how much God loves you. I want to I wanna challenge you. You're his family. Don't break his heart by disbelieving in him because he wants you to have so much belief in your heart that it spreads to everyone that you know. If you're here today and you struggle with that, I challenge you, turn your heart to the Lord. Let's go to the, the next observation. The next thing I want to show you guys is that Jesus walked a harder road than anyone. Is harder a word? Is it? Or is it more hard? Harder? Okay, cool. I was almost embarrassed by my lack of grammatical skill. Jesus walked a harder road than anyone. I really believe that. When Jesus talks to his brothers, they're saying, Jesus, go into the city. Go do your miracles. Go do a parade. Do all of these things. And what Jesus says, he says, listen, it's not my time. 
It's not my time. It's always your time, but it's not my time. What did he mean by that? What he meant was, you guys are free to live. Like, you can just go into town. You can talk to anyone. You can do what you want. No one is trying to kill you. You are just living your life. You're not really trying to follow God. You're not really trying to serve him. You are just living your life. And this is a saying that I think can resonate because some of us here, we grew up with Jesus. We're safe in the church. We know we're going to heaven, but maybe we're not really walking with Jesus. And Jesus would say, like he said to the brothers, it's like it's going to be easier for you in a lot of ways because there's not a target on your back. You're just living your life. You're just doing whatever you want. Jesus knows the difference, though, for him. His brothers, he said, you are free to live. For Jesus, he was born to die. He had a target on his back. Do you know what I mean, Do you know what I mean by that? He was born to die. He came into the world with the specific reasoning that God was going to let him die for our sins. And he knew this. He knew that his time would come. He knew he was walking around with this target on his back. He says to the brothers, the world has no reason to hate you, but it hates me because I shine light on the darkness. This is a word from Jesus to those who think they don't need Jesus, because that's where the brothers were. They didn't think they need him. They're like, this is our brother. Like, we don't need him. We don't, like, maybe we need him to, like, build us a bookshelf or something, because, like, he's a carpenter. But we don't need him. We don't need his salvation. Guys, I meet so many people who feel like they don't need Jesus. I meet people who don't know him, and you talk to them. There's people out there, they're doing drugs, they're going around sleeping around with people and it's wrecking their life. They're, they're having a hard time. They're down on the left. They're poor. And you go to them and you tell them about Jesus and they're like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm looking for. You go to some people, their lives are great. They're like successful. They got a job. They got, you know, girlfriend or husband or wife. They got kids. They got the soccer mom van and the, you know, they got everything that they want. The soccer mom van is not a good example of that, but you know, they've, they've got a nice car. You're like, Aaron, why can't you think of what a nice car is? Because have you seen my car? My gosh, had that thing since I was 15. Anyway, there's people out there, you go to them, and they're like, we don't care. Like, we don't need Jesus. They don't realize that that longing they feel, that hole in their heart, that emptiness, it points towards something that only God can fill. Listen, there are even people in the family of God, i.e. people in this room, people who are a part of this family, who feel like they don't need Jesus. Jesus is the get-out-of-hell-free card, and we don't act like Peter when Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you have the words of life. Where would we go? Who would we turn to? Lord, you have the words. We are going to listen to you. We are going to read your word. We are going to pray. We love you. We want to follow you. There are some of us who, in our life, we don't really feel like we need Jesus. Many reject the road Jesus had to walk because it's hard. You can go to the next one, Zach. All you guys know Abraham Lincoln. When Abraham Lincoln was nine years old, his mother died of milk sickness. His overwhelmed father would beat him hard-heartedly, even leaving the future president and his sister alone for months so he could find a new wife. With nothing to eat but stored berries, a neighbor's account of the incident recalled the children being unclean and malnourished and the house being in an inhabitable condition. So you got Abraham Lincoln, one of the best presidents we've ever had, was just beaten severely, left to starve in a cabin with his sister, living off berries. This guy had a hard road to walk. You can go to the next one. Jesus, I would say, had an even harder road to walk because, like I said, the guy was born to die. Like, if you are born and you know that your only reason for existence is to basically die for people, it's amazing. Like, that's, that's such 
a hard road to walk. Imagine if you knew that your day to die would come soon. Like if you knew you were going to die in your late 20s. If you knew you were going to die in your teens, if like you just knew it was going to happen, it was clear cut, you didn't know when exactly it was going to happen, but you live with like kind of this understanding that like this could be my last day. This could be the day I die. This could be the day that I have to sacrifice my life for people who hate me. That's what Jesus had to live through. Some of us, at times, we don't want to follow Jesus on the road. It's a hard road. He calls us to walk on it because he knows it's the road that leads to eternal life and eternal joy. Not just going to heaven one day when we die, but actually living the joy-filled, wonderful life that Jesus called us to. And when we do show up to heaven, he says, thank you, well done, faithful servant, walking that road for me. Some of us, we don't want to walk on that road. We just want to be saved. And it's what this guy, uh, this uh, theologian named Dallas Willard, he's, he calls it, it's like being a vampire Christian. Don't be a vampire Christian. Here's what he says. It says, to be a vampire Christian, one in effect says to Jesus, Jesus, I'd like a little bit of your blood, please, but I don't care to be your student or have your character. In fact, won't you just excuse me while I get on with my life and I'll see you in heaven? But can we really imagine this is an approach that Jesus finds acceptable? Guys, when I was your age, so many times I was just acting like a vampire Christian. I was just feeding off the blood of the Lord, like just like saying, Lord, I want to be saved. I want that get in heaven free card, but I didn't want to actually walk the road. I have a question for you guys. When is a flashlight hated? When is a flashlight hated? Anybody? Yeah. In the light? Um, I think, yeah, because a flashlight, well, no, the flashlight is loved in the darkness a lot of times because what? What are you trying to do with a flashlight? Trying to see, right? But when would a flashlight be hated? When it doesn't work? That's a good one. When it's in your face, that's a good one. I think a flashlight is hated when it exposes a secret that someone doesn't want to be found. When you are doing something in the dark that you don't want anyone to see and that light comes on and your sin is exposed, I mean, we can look at uh, a couple lies that came out. Here's one. Does anyone know about P. Diddy? (laughs) We used to call him Puff Daddy when I was a kid. And his name has changed so many times. Now he's P. Diddy, so I don't know. But um, he claimed that he owned a private jet. It's about $20 million to maintain. And later he said he ditched his private jet because he couldn't afford to travel due to the high gas prices. But the truth is, he didn't own a private jet. There was no private jet registered under his name. He later responded to it and said, oh, well, I, don't, I just own a part of the jet. I own a wing. But it was registered under someone else's name. Why would you just register a wing? Like, why? Like, if I had a ton of money, I wouldn't just be like, like trying to own a wing of a plane. That makes no sense. He lied about it, came out. It's embarrassing. You can go to the next one. Anyone know about Rick Ross? Anybody? So this guy, he's a rapper. He made a career out of being a gangster rapper. So if you're a gangster rapper, what kind of reputation do you want to have? You're hard. You're a bad guy. You're out murdering people. Well, it came out in 2008. It was brought to light that he used to be a corrections officer in South Florida. He vehemently denied it until pictures of him in his uniform surfaced when he was forced to admit it was true. So all those guys who are gangsters were like, hey, you were one of the guards in the prison I was in. Like, come on, man. Like, that's, that's lame. You can go to the next one. Um, this is great. Khloe Kardashian, um, she baked these pies for Thanksgiving, and she said, these are all of my homemade greatness, my, thir- my first Thanksgiving all by myself. Look at these beautiful pies I made. 
And everyone's like, hey, those are some nice pies, Chloe. Well, good job. Way to go, Chloe. You're amazing. But then it came out uh, the next year. The pies looked exactly the same. They're like, what is going on? Why do these pies look the same? Turns out these pies came from Sweet Lady Jane, which is a pie company, I guess. Um, but the bakery owner from Jane Lockhart, she, she confirmed and she, what, they were her pies, and she said, the nerve. When I saw the pies on her table, I thought she has to be kidding me. I want to say, good job. You want a job here? So, it's embarrassing. It is. Truly, I would be embarrassed if I was her. I thought everyone would like my pies, but it turns out the light has been revealed, exposing that I'm a fake, and I just buy pies, and I post them on Instagram, and I say I made these from scratch by myself. You can go to the next one. So, Jesus is the most hated flashlight. The reason is Jesus exposes sin. And that's why a lot of people hate church. It's what Jesus said in the passage. He says, the world hates me because I shine the light into the darkness. And it's, it really is why many people hate church because they think, I don't want to go because I've been messing up. I've been doing bad stuff. I've been living my life. I've been living a lie. My parents don't know what I'm doing. Nobody knows what I'm doing. People don't know what I'm texting. People don't know what I'm Snapchatting. People don't know what I'm Instagramming. People don't know what I'm saying to people. People don't know about that boyfriend or that girlfriend that no one knows about or that guy I'm talking to or that girl I'm talking to or the porn I'm looking at or the music I'm listening to or whatever it is, fill in the blank, the sin in your life. And the reason sometimes we don't want to come is because we think, Oh, I'm going to step in that room and the light's going to shine. Everyone's going to know that I'm a fake. Everyone's going to know I'm a fraud. Everyone is going to know that I'm a sinner. That's why a lot of people hate coming. It's why a lot of religions are accepted besides Christianity. Because in other religions, in other religions, it's like, well, the definition, who knows the definition of a religion? The definition, the definition of religion is man trying to work his way to God. It's man trying to get to God by his own power. And so what religion is, is it's people trying to work their way to God. Jesus says, you can't do that. You're a sinner. People don't want to hear that. They want to say, no, 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 I'm a good person. And if I'm a really, really good person, if I work really hard and I try really hard and I be really good, then I can get to God. Jesus says, no, 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 that's stupid. You can't do that. You can't get to God through any way except you admit that you're a horrible sinner and you put yourself in the hands of a forgiving God. People don't want that. People don't want Jesus to put them on his back and carry them up the hill. People want to be able to climb the mountain themselves. And it's why so many people today are going to hell, because they do not realize their need for Christ. You see, Jesus didn't come to judge us. He came to judge and destroy sin. He came to rid the world of sin. You see, sin, who has ever had a family member who's experienced cancer? Anybody? I have. My aunt right now is actually suffering from it right now. Cancer is terrible because cancer is it's an unforgiving disease. What it does is it, it takes over the body, the host body of the victim, and it'll eat the body alive, and when it's done, it ultimately destroys itself. Sin doesn't care if it goes down with the ship. You have to understand that's what Satan does. He will take you down. He knows he's going down. He's not trying to save himself. He's, his only concern is to destroy your life. His only concern is if he knows he can't take you to hell because you gave your life to Jesus, he will try to make your life as a Christian a living hell on earth. He will try to ruin everything God has done in your life. That's why it's important to remember Jesus always talks about the root of sin. I don't know if you guys know this, but about 
around the world, in certain parts of the world, there are about two million girls who get sold into sex slavery. These are girls your age and younger. I'm talking junior high and elementary age. This is a huge, huge problem. These girls are taken from their homes. They're the, the, the traders come to the parents and they say, hey, listen, we're going to take your daughter to the city. Um, we're going to, you know, do her up and give her, like, nice hair stuff and makeup. We're going to get her a job as a receptionist or uh, a secretary or a salesperson in a nice fashion store. Like, these are poor villages, poor families, and they think that someone is coming to give their daughter an opportunity to make something of herself. What happens is they get locked in a room and they have to have sexual relations with about 30 different people a day. It is a horrific problem. And so listen, what happens is we hear these stories and we think like, man, we got to do something. And it's true, we do, we do have to do something. And I would encourage you, if, if this stirs you, you can actually like dedicate parts of your life as you get older and you get jobs, you can actually join the fight to stop these things from happening. There are, there are jobs you can get in this field, and I'd encourage you, some of you guys, to maybe pray about being missionaries to help against trafficking. But the problem is, with this, we look at it and we think we have to stop trafficking. But you know what? Jesus goes a step further. He says, I, just, I don't want to just stop trafficking. I want to stop lust. I want to kill lust because Jesus knows if you see a tree and you attack the branches and you try to trim the branches and destroy the branches, what happens if you don't get the root? The tree just grows back, right? Makes sense? So when Jesus taught, he would say, listen, you heard, don't commit adultery. I say to you, if you even look at a person with lust, you've committed adultery. Jesus says, don't commit murder. You've heard that before. Don't commit murder. I say to you, I don't want to just stop murder. I don't want to just stop wars. I want to stop hate. I want to stop anger. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, how does this happen? Like, how is Jesus going to do this? He wants to do it through you. The change starts with you. This is why it's important. When we look at things like wars and trafficking and violence and all of these big problems, we have to realize for us as Christians, the change has to start with us. We can't just go and try to stop these things. We have to actually go in our own heart and say, Lord, I don't want to just take the lust that I have and go, oh, it's just a part of being a teenager. It's just part of growing up. Like, I guess I'll grow out of it. No, you won't. It'll just get worse and worse. Jesus wants to hit the root so that then you can go and destroy the branches. If you've got anger or bitterness in your heart towards somebody, Jesus wants to root that out because that'll lead to far worse things. I challenge you, if you're dealing with sin in your life, find out what the root is. Is it gossip? Is it envy? Is it jealousy? Is it lust? Is it hate? Is it lying and deception? Whatever it is, go to God and say, God, I don't want to just tackle the branches of this tree. I want to get the root. Oswald Chambers, this great theologian, says, if the Spirit of God detects anything in you that is wrong, he does not ask you to put it right. He asks you to accept the light, and he will put it right. So many times we say, God, don't shine your light into my life. I don't want you to uncover the darkness. Jesus isn't coming to say, listen, you better set your life right or I'm not going to let you go to heaven. You better get your stuff together or I'm going to throw a lightning bolt at you. That's not Jesus' heart. See, many of you guys, you have a struggle. You have a struggle being corrected, being helped, 
having your sin acknowledged. When someone comes to you, your parents or, or a pastor or somebody, and they say, hey, can I talk to you? Your instinct is, oh, I don't want to, just, I got to run away. Like, I just got to get away from here. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to deal with my sin. I don't want to deal with my issues. That can, that's, it's such a huge problem. It's such a huge problem because you hear God coming for you. And it sounds like police sirens. It sounds like, oh, he's coming to lock me up for what I did. And you know it. You know those times where you've messed up and you've made a mistake and you've sinned and you know you're about to be found out. You know that it's just, it is coming to an end. And someone, whether it's a parent or a teacher, someone is going to find out what you did. And it's just like this feeling of like, oh, like I, I know God is coming to just destroy me. You hear those sirens and it sounds like the cop car. But I want to challenge you to remember it is not a cop car coming to arrest you and destroy you. It's the sound of an ambulance. It's the sound of the healer, the doctor coming to fix you up. He sees the sin in your life, and like a doctor who opens up a chest and wants to operate, he shines the light in, not to burn a hole through the person, but because he wants to see what's there so he can remove it. And the human heart is so selfish and wicked. Like, my human heart is so selfish and wicked. I read this story. You can go to the next slide. There was this charity so basically what happens is, is this is a town in uh, Ontario, Canada, and they set up uh, a banner that says, hey, people, we're setting up a new homeless shelter in your town so we can help the homeless people. You know what happened? This is a rich community, rich people. They called in on the phone to the number left on the banner, and the reports that these guys who set up the banner it was people were screaming at them, crying, angry. They said, how could you do this? You are going to ruin our neighborhood by letting the scum and the wicked and the homeless people in. Like, like we have a nice neighborhood. Like, how could you do this? You know these are all drunk addicts and drugs. You're going to ruin a perfect neighborhood. Well, what, what came out was these guys who set up the banner, it was a hoax. They weren't really going to open a homeless shelter. What they were doing was they wanted to set up a banner to get people in the town to start talking about the problem of homelessness and hopefully decide to do something to help. Instead, it, just, it did the opposite. It made people angry. They didn't want to help. They didn't want to do anything. And I can look at this story and I can judge them, but I realize that I myself can be just like these people. Because the sad thing is, even after Jesus has saved me, my wickedness still can be carried in. The Bible says that we fight with our old man every day, our old self. When you get saved, you don't become perfect. You guys all know. And so the way that I can be just like the people who in, that, the, in the rich community, the way I can be like that is when I say, Lord, my life is great. Like, you saved me. Everything's great. Like, I don't want to deal with sinners. Like, I don't want to deal with people who don't love you. Like, I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to go street witnessing. I don't want to go preach the gospel. Like, I just want to be in my Christian bubble around all these other Christians and just be happy the way it is. Guys, the reason I, I preach on this is because I really, truly believe God wants this group to grow. And the way he wants that to happen is by people who don't know anything about Jesus. God wants those people here. He wants them here, and he wants them just receiving love and friendship and, and just fellowship from you. He wants you guys preaching the gospel to them. He wants these people who don't know him, the, the homeless in the sense that they don't have a heavenly home, he wants this place to be a shelter for them where they show up and they are ministered to by you. And I have to pray every day. I have to pray, God, make my heart open. Make me care more about reaching the lost than I care about myself. As we wrap it up, I just want to share one last thing with you. Go to the last slide. 
the last slide, or the last point, is that Jesus had a great concern for you. This is, this is just what blew my mind. Go back to the text, okay? This is something just, I'm so excited about this, okay? Please, like, just, just read it, okay? Um, okay. Verse 10. Chapter 7, verse 10. said, his brothers went up, remember? The brothers talked to Jesus, and Jesus said, you know, you guys can go up to Jerusalem anytime you want. I have to sneak around. And they're like, whatever, Jesus. We don't understand what you mean. Verse 10, when his brothers had gone up, then Jesus also went up to the feast, not openly, secretly, as it was in secret. <laughs> secret. Um, <laughs> I feel like I do that like once a study. Okay. As it were in secret. <laughs> then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much complaining, and people said, no, he's a good guy. And other people said, no, he deceives people, he's a liar. But no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. It's so easy to read this passage and just think, like, oh, like, what do we learn from this? What do we learn? Uh, Jesus wanted to be secretive, so he snuck around. I was thinking about this. And I was thinking, why would Jesus be secretive? And then I remembered in the stories, I don't know if you guys have caught this, um, I've read through the Gospels many times just because I've grown up. Maybe some of you guys hearing these teachings, these are the first time you've gone through these stories. If you guys don't know these stories well, if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus would heal people in the Gospels. He would cause lame men to get up and walk and leap. He'd cause blind men to be able to see. And they'd just start freaking out. They'd say, oh, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And Jesus would come to them and say, no, no, no. Like, don't, don't say my name. Don't tell people I did it. Just, just don't. Just, just be quiet. And I read that, and I was like, why? Like, why was Jesus so secretive? And I started thinking about reasons. Like, why would Jesus be so secretive? Was it because he was afraid to die? Was Jesus a coward? Was Jesus scared of dying? And I started to really pray this over, and I was like, God, please speak to my heart this weekend and show me, like, what is the reason why you're being secretive and sneaking around? I think it lies in Jesus' phrase, stay with me, when Jesus says, it's not my time. And this just blows me away. Because was Jesus afraid to die? No. He knew he was going to die. When he said, it's not my time, he knew. One day, it will be my time to die. This is what blows me away. Jesus didn't want a quick and easy death. He wanted the long, painful, horrible death of the cross. Why? Was he some guy who was just into, like, pain? No. He loved you, and he knew he had to face the cross. He knew the cross was necessary. And so he, like, think, think, just, I want to put this in, like, just ways you can understand. If you knew you were going to die, if you just knew it was going to happen, you have the death sentence. If you had the choice between a quick bullet to the head, just instant, you don't feel anything, you're dead, or five hours in the electric chair, what would you pick? I'd pick the bullet to the head. Like, as, as morbid as it sounds, I, I would rather be shot in the head than spend five hours being electrocuted to death. Jesus knew that he was going to spend hours and hours hanging on a cross, being suffocated, having his body just pulled and torn apart, his back ripped apart by whips, a crown of thorns pushed on his head, his beard ripped out of his face. He knew this was going to happen, and he did it for you. So the reason he's sneaking around is not because he's afraid. He's like, if I show up, 
they're going to just kill me. Like, they can hire an assassin. They can just slip a quick knife in my back. Like, they can do whatever. I am going to hide myself away until it is time for me to die, and then I'm going to go and face the worst death ever. Guys, listen. God loves you so much. He loves you so, so much. I'm going to ask Katie to come up here. She's going to play one more song. We're going to end in worship. But you need to know that God loves you so very much. At our concert night, I was talking to one of the guys who came who didn't know the Lord. There was a couple guys there who didn't know the Lord. And I was asking him, like, you know, like, what do you think about Jesus? And he goes, oh, you know what? God doesn't want me. Like, God doesn't want anything to do with me. I've messed up too much. Like, I've made too many mistakes. Like, maybe when I get my life together, then God will want to be around me. Guys, you need to understand, whether you grew up in your whole life as a Christian, or whether you're here today and you don't know the Lord, or you're somewhere in between, if you're here today and you have those same feelings, God doesn't want to be around me. You need to know that God is the God who literally couldn't live without you. He was the God who could not He decided, he made the choice, he would not go on living without you. What do you mean? He died. He died for you. He chose to die because he would rather die than go on living without you. That's amazing. That blows me away. You see, hell, and Jesus talked more about hell in the Bible than he did heaven. If you've grown up, if you think that hell is this place where God he made it because he hates people and all the bad people he wants to throw in there and torture them forever and ever. You need to understand, hell is not a dungeon that you're thrown into. It's a closet that you lock from the inside yourself. What I mean by that is whether you go through your life and you never decide to follow Jesus and you end up in hell, God didn't throw you there. You locked yourself in. Or if you're saved, And you go through your life and you never really experience joy. You never really experience happiness. You never really experience fulfillment. You're saved. You have a saved soul but a wasted life. It's not because God did that to you. It's because we closed the door on him. And we locked the door and we said, God, I want your blood, but I don't want you. I want to challenge you today as we finish in this song. Give your heart to Jesus. Who cares if you've been saved before? Like, if you're saved, you're saved, but... Sometimes we can take our saved heart and remove it. Sometimes we can take our saved heart and we can say, God, thank you for saving me, but I don't want to be near you. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want you to come in my life. I don't want you to mess me up. I don't want you to reveal my sin. I don't want you to expose me. And what we're doing is we're locking ourselves in a hellish closet. When Jesus says, I am the door, open it. Step into life. It's so easy as a Christian to live your life in a way where you're saved, but you're not really walking with Jesus. I want to challenge you in this next song. Get your heart back right with the Lord. It's so easy. All you got to do is ask. Lord, we love you. God, thank you for your word, for the reminder. God, we need it. We need to see what happens when we disbelieve you. Lord, your brothers, they didn't believe you. And yet we are in your family. And so often we don't trust you with our lives. We don't believe you. We don't want to fully surrender. 
God, thank you for what you did. Thank you for that hard road you walked to the cross, a life where you were despised and rejected and hated and spit upon. Thank you for all of those things you did for us. Thank you, God, that you were willing to not die a quick and easy death, but you knew that you had to die on the cross to pay for our sins. You had to face the worst death. Thank you that you did that for us. I just ask, God, that right now, you would turn our hearts to you, and in this moment, we would give ourselves to you fully and freely. In your name, amen.